All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Thanks for coming back. Good to see you. Um, question, Megan. Why do Catholics have a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer? Extra credit, whoever knows. Yeah, you're kind of a ringer. Okay, why do the Catholics have a shorter version? Uh, I can't explain why the Catholics have a shorter version, but I can tell you that the last few phrases Words prayer that we say or something to do with uh, something? Something to do with the Hebrew ending that they said at the end of everything else. That away. Because it's in different places. Yes, because it's also, so I, even in, uh, I think I quoted one for tomorrow from Luke's Gospel, has an sh even shorter version than the short version the Catholics say. Well, the answer is because everybody wants to get out of Mass sooner. That's clearly the answer. Everybody knows that. Come on. Am I out? <laughs> You're in. Uh, no, because um, there are a couple different versions in the, in the uh, New Testament. And then, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory is, uh, can be found in Deuteronomy and is an old Hebrew way of ending every prayer. And so that gets tagged on. And um, you, have to make, you have to be careful not to make the scriptures sing and dance, right? Uh, there's this what's in the scriptures and then it's how it's applied and what's good for you and in today's lesson more is always better than less so uh you can say it either way but what if it's just that last thing that you really really need what if this is a kingdom power and glory kind of day you might want to be saying that so yeah well you wouldn't want to say that they're wrong it's all good i personally think it's just to sort out the lutherans at any funeral or wedding so uh anything else while you're at it Okay, this is, I, you know, the thing is, is, this is always my, I always have a moral decision to make at this point, because I have a sassy lecture, <laughs> but Chrisman's already left, so, you know, what's the point of giving that lecture? Oh, he's back. I have a sassy lecture for this, and then, you know, I have a non-sassy lecture, but then I had, for the first time in like three years, I had the chocolate muffin here, which I'm just like... I can't believe the effect this has had on me. I mean, it was like having cake for breakfast. So I should probably just calm down. Uh, <laughs> of course, the vicar took the wind out of my sails this morning and the deaconess, because, you know, offhandedly, I quoted them some scripture and then some Biggie Smalls. Now, the scriptures they were familiar with, but Biggie, they actually didn't know. And this just kind of hurts me deep in my heart, you know. Because if you don't know, you know, now you know, Vic. So uh, <clears throat> that's been in the sermon, by the way. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so uh, here we go. If you understand, uh, you know what, Vic, if you could grab a company issue Bible and find Matthew 24 and 25 um, and give the page number. So everything is going to make sense if you understand that you're a servant and not a master. Everything is gonna make sense. I know this is really bad. You know, you can hardly say such things. In fact, you can't even be master of a college at Harvard anymore. And you know, um, you'll probably 8.30. So if you grab a Bible and go to 8.30, and you know, if you, I, I can't, it can't be far off when you can't have a master's degree anymore. Uh, so uh, you'll all have to give them up. But uh, you remember that if you, if you get this single point, everything else in the Christian life will make sense, which is God is God and you're not. So take, for example, Adam. This is even pre-sin stuff, right? 
the Lord makes the garden and he gives it to Adam. And then he says, Adam, tend and keep the garden. And later, that's the, those are the same Hebrew words that are used for a priest. The priest is meant to tend and keep Israel, right? And you as parents are meant to tend and keep your children. That's what you do. So it's the Lord and then you and then all the things that you have left to do. This is how the world works. If you understand this, everything will work out. If, in, if you think, like Satan, that you are the master, your world will be hell now and forever. It's just the way it is. Because, as you know, hell is when God lets you have your way forever. So, you know, uh, and of course the great proof that you're no master is that you'll die. And uh, most people seem to come around to that, you know, just short of their last breath. So what you want to do is understand the economy of creation. You want to understand how things are put together. Um, you want to understand what Jesus meant even when he imitated this and said, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, right? Even Jesus puts himself in service to his Father. Philippians 2, you know, one of the greatest poetic bits of Scripture. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant, right? This is how we talk about Jesus. And you're conforming your life uh, in the church to Jesus. Now, when it's all sort of theoretical, um, that all works really well. But when it comes to money, and this is the money day, so thank you for showing up, uh, this is one of the three or four places where people quit, quit. So, you know, I'll give it all to you and then we'll see what happens. But first, um, let me show you the plus and the minus. Matthew 24 and 25. So there's a couple of different ways to be a servant. Okay, so you can be a good servant or a bad servant. At the end of Matthew 24, uh, Verse 45, who is a wise and faithful servant? Who is a wise and faithful servant? Verse 45, blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him doing what he's been given to do, right? Tend the household, tend and keep, right? Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and he will punish him and put him with the hypocrites and there men will weep and gnash their teeth. So one point is, uh, you know, you can be a horrible servant, uh, which means you don't know how to manage things, not your life and not the life of others. On the other hand, much more beautiful, is if you go to Matthew 25. So turn the page if you must. Verse 31. So this comparison of how you spend your life, what matters, what's important, right? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now I'm going to, this is a long piece, so I'm going to shorten it with you for a little bit. He'll gather people, he'll separate the sheets and the goats. 34, and the king will, on it, will say to those at his right hand, come blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then these beautiful verses. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then, kind of stunned, first to be in the presence of God, then to be on the right side of the argument, you know, this very honest thing. What? Me? Then the righteous, so one mark of the righteousness is they don't, righteous is they don't even know the good they're doing. You sort of bump through life and you live like Jesus and you have no idea what's cooking and you can't see your, your own life in real time, uh, but Jesus is very happy with you and then he says to you someday, hey, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did I see you a stranger and welcome you? When were you naked and I clothed you? When did I see you sick or in prison? And you know what, this great answer. The king will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So your whole life is meant to be following Jesus as a faithful servant. We heard this way at the beginning when I talked to you about the rhythm of the Christian life and what distinguished the early Christians in Acts chapter two, Christ and scripture and prayer and the liturgy and the Eucharist and tithing and alms and mercy and people joined the church because they said, we've never seen anybody like this. Everybody else acts in their own self-interest. So you can see, you can always measure, you know, the importance of the topic by how many things I have to give you, right? So, uh, you know, I almost had Greta Thunberg give me a buzz about how many copies I was making, but it's, it's all good for you, right? So there's one that says um, on the bottom, you know, let's go. So it says, you have a stack of stuff. Grab your stack of stuff. There's more to come, but I'm going to kind of spin it all out for you today, right? This is the one um, that says the average human gets around 25,000 days on the earth. And most of us in the United States will get a few more. That's it. So you're going to get 25,000 days if it works out for you, right? Are you not getting this? Do you have this? You do have this. If you don't have this, you want to blame the vicar. It's very important to learn people. I don't know. I don't, can't even remember my name. But you're doing great. No, it's one that looks like this. There's a whole stack of them there. Unless the vicar didn't do what I told him, only if the vicar did what I told him is there any possibility of this all succeeding. Who knows what could really be happening here? He's a nice young boy. You got it? You got the one that says, let's go on the bottom? You got the one that looks like this? See, the vic was, he was so nice to you, he sort of stacked things up. Do you have one? It says you got 25,000 days and your clock is ticking, right? Yeah, this life is a breath. Heaven is coming fast. And we live in that thin space where faith and obedience have relevance, right? We have this one life to offer. There is no second chance, no plan B for the good news. We get one shot at living to expand the kingdom, fighting for justice. We'll stand before Jesus once and none of our luxuries will accompany us. We'll have one moment to say, this is how I lived. I would hate to see you, you know, go into heaven stark naked. Now, the, dis the vicar disagrees with me, but because I'm grading him and he's not grading me, I'll just say, I think the part in 1 Corinthians doesn't justify to pastors, but to everybody, you take your good works into heaven with you. 
So there'll be people in heaven that are buck naked with no good works. You can look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know I'm making, I'm giving the vicar hives now, but just treat him with Benadryl. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Right? Well, of course they do. You're an outlier. You don't even know who Biggie Smalls is. All right? So here's, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, your life matters right now, okay? Now, Vic, did these all go in a row? Um, so, you know, and then there's this, another one from Elizabeth uh, Scalia on the bottom, which basically says, and, I, you, know, I, you know, I wish I'd say things like this. You know, so do you see this one that says, I can't remember what I wrote this morning and didn't write. So, hardly anyone believes it, but it's true. Obedience brings tremendous freedom. You see, that's, of course, what Adam couldn't understand, that being obedient to the Lord would bring him this beautiful freedom. But no, because we think we're masters, because every one of us always thinks we're the smartest one in the room, because we're going to go our own way, because we can figure an angle, right? We don't actually believe that obedience brings freedom. We don't actually believe that following Jesus and being a servant is the best way to proceed through life, because then people won't think we're important or powerful or vote for us or pick something, right? Hardly anyone believes it, but it's true. Obedience brings tremendous freedom to our lives. But we can't possibly know that unless we practice it. The ancient Christian principle, I do, so I believe. It works the other way, too. I believe, so I do. But you learn things by doing things. If you're fasting for lunch, you're going to learn things about yourself that you didn't know before. Very interesting. We can't possibly know it unless we practice it, and practicing it is hard, and sometimes it's against all our instincts, because our instincts are turned in on ourselves, Luther's definition of sin. Sin is when we turn in on ourselves. We don't have eyes for God. We don't have eyes for anybody else. We don't look up. We don't look out. We only think about ourselves except as I wrote recently about some other, something else, the hard stuff is also the great stuff. There's no greatness in taking the easier, wider path. And that, of course, is um, sort of the secret of everything that's happening. So um, I actually do want to talk to you about money a little bit because money turns out to be one of the hardest things for Christians to talk about. I don't exactly know why, I mean, I would give you the choice between, you know, well, when I do this for kids, I give them the choice to talk about sex or money. That's the choice. It's exactly the same conversation. So, it is. Like, think about, think about this. If I say to a bunch of kids, okay, here's what we're going to do today. I want you to think about this. We've got to talk about something that's really sensitive. It's intimate. It's genitive. It's, it's creative, you know. Um, your parents should have talked about, about it. I don't know why I have to talk about it, but I do. But of course the reason is because you can't actually imagine your parents ever doing this. And I say, what am I talking about? And you know, the answer is tithing, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's not where they go, but I do have another. You want to hear my sex lecture? It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. Look, it's easy. You can tell your kids if they want to have sex, give me a call. <laughs> Because we want them to have sex too. If they want to have sex, bring them to us. We'll have a party called Holy Marriage. And then we'll turn them loose. And whatever else happens, we'll baptize our kids and take care of them. 
and then teach them to tithe. It'll be fabulous. Let them know, okay? That's the short version of that part. Okay, so you have this one that has the red mark that has stewardship on the fourth. This is now you're in the right place. You were right all along. You know what? You were right all along. People just don't recognize it, right? People should say you're right more, shouldn't they? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. Yes, it would. Spoken like a true mother. This is one of my favorite stories. And, you know, just so you don't think this is all in the church, although I do have a good friend who used to sit behind Vogel in the Presbyterian church outside Philadelphia every Sunday. But this is a just the first paragraph, so all you need. At a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island, already... You're in places where most of us haven't been. Kurt Vonnegut, and that, you know, already you kind of go, this story's going to be great, informs his pal Joseph Heller, right? Catch-22. You're like, it couldn't get better than this. Their host, a hedge fund manager, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel, Catch-22, over its whole history. Heller responds, yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. That genius, right? Part of our dissatisfaction with life is that we never think we have enough. And below that is our anxiety, which kind of tells us that we're actually not really gods. And below that anxiety is fear, and below that fear is death. And so we grab everything we have and we hold it close as if it might save us. And we can never have enough. It's a rare person who can say, um, I've had sufficient, as the British would say. I've had enough. So, um, now, Vic, we can't give him everything at once. Because, you know, look around at these people, they can't be trusted. <laughs> Savannah, can you help them with this? Uh, what's interesting is almost uh, pause while they hand this out. I'll tell you um, the reason we talk about money is so we don't have to talk about money. I once had a call to a church. This is when I was younger, and I said, "Hey, send me the last five years of like your minutes from your governing board. I just want to see what's cooking there." And then I immediately regretted it when they actually did it because I realized about 85% of the notes were about. How are we going to pay the bills? Why can't we pay the bills? We need to cut something or we won't be able to pay the bills. And I began to observe then in churches that they talked about money all the time. They just didn't admit to it. So the antidote for that is you talk about money once, sort it all out, and you put it behind you. And then, you know, once a year, maybe Advent or pick a time, maybe Lent, you uh, revisit it and see how you're doing. But otherwise, um, you know, don't waste your time. Now, the other thing I realize is that almost nobody, nowhere, does anything that even resembles what happens in the scriptures with money. So long ago, far away, and I, you know, I just clipped this out of something. So this is way back in 2011, for goodness sakes when we were still trying to sort things out. So I was basically given some sort of assignment about how does money work in the scriptures? This is for leaders and governing board at the time. So I just observed this factually. I'm not making any argument, but you've probably never heard this before, and I'm happy to have you 
say to me, uh, I found an, an alternative, which would be great, because then we'd know more stuff. In the scriptures, the normal giving range is between 10% and 100%. Now, you can do what you want, but in the scriptures, the normal giving range is between 10% and 100%. Giving a tithe or giving everything. Uh, the widow and her last two mites, or those same Christians in Acts chapter 2 where they sold everything and gave it to the church and made themselves completely dependent on the church. Right? So that's the first bit. There are also examples in the scriptures uh, about things that are above and beyond. So when they say we're going to build the tabernacle or the temple, beyond that, they say, we need a little extra cash. I'm just observing the data. Here's the next thing. In the scriptures, the money is simply brought to the pastors and they spend it. You bring the money to the priest, the priest spend it. There's not a voters meeting, there's not a collection of people, there's not oversight, there's not nothing. Now, only a fool would not, would, would, would not pay attention to context, but I just am observing in the scriptures, this is how it works. So the practical thing for churches is, you never give to a budget. Don't ever say to me, we have to give to the budget. The budget actually has nothing to do with it. There is no budget, if you will, right? You don't like have a budget and try to hit it, right? That's not actually how it works. This is how it works. You bring 10%, or for some of you it's 12 or 15%. For some of you it might be 20%. You bring it to church, you give it to the pastors, and the pastors spend it. And they don't spend more than they get, so you keep the ink black. So the usual order is cash, pastor, spend, not promise, so we're all gonna fill out a tithing card, and I promise you I'm gonna do this. Okay, we'll gather up the tithing cards and we'll have a budget, and then we'll hope that it all works out, but we'll have several meetings before the end of the year saying to people, you gave us a tithing card, and so we hired people based on the tithing card, and you know, it's just dumb, D-U-M. So, do you need more muffins? Is this gonna, are you gonna be okay here? I don't, know, I don't wanna hurt your faith, but there it is. This is the sassy version, right? Oh no, this is the toned down version. <laughs> yeah, the, no, the other version, I, you know, I, you know. Here's the thing, I mean, part of this is, is, I'm old, I'm broken down, I'm done. And you know, I don't have to give this speech two more times, but here's the thing. Churches are horrible with money. If you took money out of the problems of the church, if you could just extract money as an element in the church, it'd be remarkable what would happen. But because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is, we don't identify where our treasure is, and because we're basically selfish and we all want to be gods, we just don't do it. And so churches waste all their time it's, it's the great diversion, right? They waste all their time talking about something they don't need to talk about. And all the cool stuff doesn't get done, like measuring your days and giving to the poor and stewarding well and being kind to poor people. And, you know, you just kind of go, why can't we get this right? Well, we can't get it right because, one, we never talk about it, and, two, we kind of don't understand it. Now, my last thing, just so you don't think this is so much under the law, hey, you can do anything you want. But it actually has to work, because almost no churches do anything that works. It just, it just isn't, it just, I, you know, you can test this theory for yourself. 
So part of the reason we do what we do here is to say, we want to talk about money so we don't have to talk about it. So here are a couple of things to know. You can kind of ask me anything and I'll kind of answer anything, but just in terms of rubrics, this is how it works. Um, you know, you have this very calm, non-sassy talk early in your relationship here. And um, if people give, things kind of work out. I never touch money, uh, and I'm not a signatory, and I'm, uh, I just, it's always sex and money with pastors. Behind that is power, of course. But it's always sex and money. And you have to, if you kept pastors away from sex and money, so many pastors wouldn't go wrong. It's always sex and money. So, as I told you before, I'm never alone with a woman, not my wife, and, as, as a pastor, I, I mean, uh, and um, I don't ever, I don't handle the money here. The money comes in as it comes in. I just want to encourage you, you help us, if you sign up for electronic giving, it regulates, it, it smooths our cash flow, which is lumpy anyway. And um, it goes directly into our books and saves so much. So John Crow manages the money. There's a treasurer from the congregation who oversees that. There are offsite accountants in Indianapolis. And there are, there's an auditor somewhere else, I can't even tell you where, um, that kind of go through, kind of take care of everything. But you should, you know, obviously I'm never gonna ask you for money. Uh, I mean, not for me. I'm gonna ask you for a ton of money today. I'm going to ask you for your first child before this is over. So, you know, but, you know, so this is kind of how it works. We do, in fact, and you, we do, in fact, have a budget, but a budget meeting usually takes, you know, half an hour here, although people do sort of, sort of go through it, and um, you're free to, you know, have a look at it, and, um, you know, you can know about things, what you want, almost except everything except what people give. Just so you know, uh, the pastors do know what you give, because it's one of the great indications of spiritual health. If somebody isn't giving, or if they're giving and then they stop giving, it means they lost their job, their family's in trouble, they've been divorced, something's gone horribly wrong. It's a great spiritual indicator. Uh, and the, the notion that pastors can't know, shouldn't know what people give is completely debilitating in terms of spiritual care, because as Jesus says, it's one of the primary indicators of faith. It's just nuts. It's crazy. So the only people who know what you give are the pastors, uh, John Crow, because he has to do the books, and the person who records. So there's about five people who know uh, what you give, and it doesn't, it's not that big a deal. So um, anyway, you still okay? You got questions about any of that? It's all under my fast-talking full disclosure. All right, now, lest you think I've gone off the rails, vicar, here you go. With this, I try to answer um, the gazillions of questions that come up as we go, right? So this was kind of, you know, again, this stuff has come over the years. It's uh, sort of, I hope this will answer most of the questions you have. And I can sort of tell you over the years how this developed, but... Um, if you could try to think about your life in this way, um, it might be really good. So I can even talk while the vicar's handing this out. Um, 
you know, point number one, the Lord makes the first move. So the Lord is creator and your creature, or the Lord um, is master and your uh, doulos slave. You know, doula, the, the word for midwife, it's just that's exactly the biblical word, a servant, right? Someone who helps. So the Lord makes the first move and he gives you everything you've got. And then at point number two, the thing he gives you most is his son, Jesus Christ. And now this is where it gets sticky because um, Christ is the end point, the fulfillment, the telos of the law. So regularly where giving goes wrong in churches is people say, um, I'm free. I don't have to give 10% or I don't have to give it all, right? So we're just going to let that kind of simmer for a second, right? I'm free from the law. Christ is the end of the law, which in fact is true. Here it is. Christ is the telos of the law, Romans 10. You're completely free, right? And I can give you all kinds. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Of course, you heard from Scalia that freedom and obedience go together. So kind of hold that there. Because you're not free to do anything you want. You're never free of the Ten Commandments, for example. Because outside the Ten Commandments is evil. You're free for holiness. You're free um, for slavery. You're not free for license. Okay? So, I mean, why would you give? Right? Point number four. Why would you give anything? And let me just say, I don't, I don't think it's on here, but just let me give you... Um, as long as I'm wandering around here, let me give you why the 10% number is important. Um, anybody know what the average giving is for people in the Missouri Senate? You members, you know, because you've heard me say this a thousand times. Anybody, anybody who's kind of new, you know what the average giving is for the Missouri Senate? Three would be generous, nicely said. And good to be hopeful. It's, we're moving toward Easter, that's good. If only it were three. Right? It's about 2.7 or 2.6. You know, Catholics and Pentecostals and Baptists are kind of scattered around us. We're kind of mid-range, upper mid-range. So here's the deal. The average giving in the Missouri Senate is 2.7%. And most churches, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, raise your hand. I'm actually just curious. So this is actually, this would be painless. How many of you have belonged to a church where the money was overflowing and you had no issues about it? In fact, you never talked about it. Raise your hand. Because every church and school I know runs like a bankruptcy. You're always just hoping you can kite the checks long enough to keep the lights on. That would mean that 2.7 is a really bad number. So here's my dramatic conclusion. When Jesus was picking a number, he picked 10. When we pick a number, we pick 2.7. We stink at picking numbers. And if you stink at something, you should get some help. We stink at picking numbers. We pick a number that makes everybody miserable all the time. So nobody can focus on the Holy Supper. Nobody can focus on the gospel. Nobody can focus on the kids. Nobody can focus on anything except maybe we could have an Easter breakfast to raise money for the youth group, which then, of course, puts 300 parents, volunteers, and kids in the kitchen trying to raise money while the Easter service goes on and nobody's there. True story, I have lived it. All the volunteers were in the kitchen making Easter breakfast that they could sell to other members 
but nobody came to the resurrection. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't list the number of problems you can create by being miserly. The Missouri Senate, I'm all, I'm all in. I'm moving to the sassy part now. The Missouri Senate will die of miserliness before it dies of false doctrine. Miserliness will be the end of us. The last guy out, turn off the lights. Don't bother locking the door. We'll hope somebody vandalizes it and we can get an insurance settlement. Oh, I have, oh boy, Vic, I have stories to tell. You know how we got the pyramids in the old church? True story. There was no money for old pyramids. Even the older members don't know this. There was no money for pyramids. But there was a woman who tripped in the church, sued us, won a settlement, and then gave 10% back. And the business manager said, fabulous, the Lord has provided money for new pyramids. That is a true story. Thank God it happened before I was here. So maybe you don't have to give money. Maybe the Lord will just work it out. If you have a weak hip, let me know, because we have stairs and I have energy, okay? Whatever it will take. You just let me know, because I'm, you know. True story. Which is why they were never allowed to throw rice at weddings. Yes, well. So, I mean, why should you give money? Kind of point number four. Well, because Jesus says, wouldn't you do that? And you have neighbors who have needs. And um, everything is under the gospel. You shouldn't hear me saying this, this is what you've got to do. I mean, sometimes, so basic law of gospel distinction for you Lutherans. The law is what you've got to do. The gospel is what you get to do. The law is what you've got to do. And occasionally you need to discipline yourself. Sometimes you discipline yourself in advance, like fasting in Lent, where you sort of irritate yourself, body, mind, body, mind, and spirit, just so you can remember how good you actually have it, or you see the things that you actually need to get rid of so you can be better, right? In the end is what giving is what you get to do. If you don't want to give, just please, Put, the, put any particular congregation to a merciful death and move on. But this middle ground where you flap around like a fish out of water and you just hope something will happen so that the doors can stay open, nobody wants to belong to that. You know, the craziest dang thing that's ever been said is, hey, why don't you get some new members so we can pay the bills? You kind of go, the old members aren't paying the bills, but you want me to go out and get some new saps off the street who can kind of... We could fleece them and everything is just going to work out. You really, I mean, this is how people talk in the church. You just want to say to yourself, are you out of your mind? This is not the sassy version. <laughs> but I just, you know, it's a, such a weakness in the church, right? So turn the page uh, to point number five. What do you give? Um, you give the first of everything. So you don't bring the last, you bring the first. And you bring the best, not the worst, right? And you do that regularly. So on the first day of the week, it's all through the scriptures. And now here's the interesting thing. You know, you give um, proportionally. So some of you, uh, especially you who've been blessed with a lot of stuff, um, you should recognize that the Lord has given a lot of things into your hand. You need to manage a lot of things. 
You have a responsibility to manage what you've got. So you give proportionally and basically, just, just and now the very much practical part, um, give 10% unless there's a reason not to. And you know, then people will say, doubtless you will say to me, gross or net. And I, of course, will say to you, do you want gross or net blessings from the Lord? <laughs> Just checking to see if you're doing the math. Okay, so uh, no, I, so here's the, here, so I'll give you the practical, I'll give you the practical rundown. Very few of you are gonna leave today and say, fabulous, I'll sign out online, you know, right at that website that's on the back of the form that asks you if you wanna join. No, very few of you are gonna leave today and say, uh, I'm gonna give 10% to the church. However, what I would like you to do is leave today and go, huh, how did I never know that? And uh, is that what the Lord really wants from me? And would that be a good way to serve the Lord and other people? And if you're convinced by that, then you should um, pick a number. Now, for some of you at different times, you know, unless you... Some of you were fortunate enough to have parents who did actually tithe and knew that, and every time they gave you allowance, they you put some in an envelope for church and you brought it. And you, so you, you just, there's never been a time when you didn't do that, and that's really great. But for some of you, this is new information. Just pick a number, okay? Pick some number. You know, if it's 1%, pick that. If it's 3%, pick that. Just pick a number and just do it and forget about it. Put it on autopilot and just forget about it. Say your prayers about it. Think about it once at a time. And occasionally, Advent and Lent, for example, Christmas and Easter, I don't care. Pick a time when you'll revisit that and kind of move forward. And what you'll discover is it's all going to be okay. Um, there are people much poorer than any of you in this congregation who give much more than 10% to the church. Because the church is the most important thing. Um, you'd be surprised, you know, if you saw the top 25 givers, how many of those people are not among rich people. It's very kind of interesting. You'd also be surprised, um, maybe, when we go to the bank, occasionally we go to the bank and borrow money like when we do stuff. Uh, the bankers have told us that St. John has the highest per capita giving, it excites me too, uh, of any of the, any of the um, papers that they reviewed. So that's kind of remarkable, right? They're always kind of startled by how much is given by so few people. So we have 800 members, we have 600 people who come to church on Sunday. That was the numbers from last year. Those were the numbers from last year. And you know, DuPage County, average income is 95,000 or $100,000 now. And if you just kind of move the numbers around and back them around, the average giving in this congregation is four or 5%, which is kind of remarkable, right? Certainly, you know, beyond 2.7, it's not all the way to 10, but it provides all of this stuff. It's the reason we don't, you know, back on sassy mode, we, the reason we don't have a free will offering. Because like the Yeti, people have heard about them, but never really seen them. There's no such thing as a free will offering. You're staring at that basket going, huh. What's the proper free will that would engage tomato soup and half a grilled cheese sandwich. And am I more free if I take a Coke or not? Yeah, that's dumb. So, um, you know, think about it once, set a number, give, relax, hit it, 
revisit it, and do it again next year. And as you progress along your life, it's whatever comes into your hand. So some of you are, um, you know, moving into peak earning years, now's the time to pay attention. Some of you are moving out of those. In fact, one of the problems with St. John is, in terms of money, is that we keep getting younger and younger, which means we're getting poorer and poorer. You people under 30, let's ramp up, okay? <laughs> Some of us are moving on to Social Security. This is gonna matter. What happens as you get younger and younger is, you know, we get older people who move to Florida, die, can't stand Illinois anymore, go somewhere else um, to reduce their taxes. And, you know, if you have hundred or $150,000 walk out of the congregation in the form of three or four or five or six people, you gotta get, you know, five or 10 or 15 or 20 younger people to kind of make that up because there's not the earning capacity at a younger age for most people. Although, if you are a trust fund baby, we have a special program <laughs> and I am happy to help you through, okay? Chrisman is my right-hand man here. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's exciting. So, you know, all I can tell you, now sometimes people will say, hey, I'm free under the gospel. And so I give them this little test. I don't have to give 10%, I'm free under the gospel. So I say, what is a good number? 8%? That's two, two, 6%? No. And I'm like, 4%? Is zero a good number? If you're free under the gospel, are you free to keep everything to yourself? Or would that put you in Matthew chapter 24? as people who beat up on other servants and drink and eat too much and don't think about anybody else? Or would that put you in chapter 25 where you say, where Jesus says to you, hey, thanks for seeing me when I was in prison. And then you say, I've never been in prison, neither has Jesus. Jesus is like, come on. <laughs> Seriously, we've both been there. You should relax. Because when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So is 10% a hard and fast number? No, actually it's not. That saying that, the hard and fast number for some of you really is 15 or 20 percent. For others of you, it may never get beyond two or three percent. But what matters about this is that you give according to your means, that you give regularly, that you give faithfully, that you give with a joyous heart, that you revisit it as a discipline, that you understand that you're a servant, that um, you don't feel guilty about it all the time. And when you need a tune-up, you come and see your pastor, um, and everything is just going to be okay. On our side, the important thing is to have the spending be transparent, to have the books be crisp, uh, to limit with discretion uh, who knows what about giving, and to, you know, regularly get audited and have somebody oversee that who's not on the staff. So we have two or three people who do that, the auditor, the accountant, and the treasurer and then kind of proceed on we go and not think about it all the time. And actually, frankly, not make me give this speech more than once a year in this class. Occasionally, you know, occasionally, you know, like at some point, you know, this building is gonna to need to be tuned up like every other building needs to be tuned up. At some point, we'll probably have to say, hey, this is an extraordinary thing, but we'll do that with a glad heart. I will not or anybody else, if they have it right, is not going to pummel you. They're just going to say, you're part of the family and this is what we need to do. It needs a new roof. Let's go. And the same rules will apply. Everybody will kind of do their best um, as they're able. You still okay? Just a quick thing, Zen, and then I'll take any of your questions or lashes as you prefer. Um, you know, 
People say to me, well, I give to the Red Cross, to which I say, that's fabulous. Give to the Red Cross. Those are your alms, right? I give to the Lutheran Hour. My sassy answer is, then when you're in the hospital, call the Lutheran Hour to come and see you, <laughs> right? Not wrong. That's what the scriptures say. It says, give to your teachers. They don't say give to people on the radio. If you want to give to people on the radio, that's fabulous. That would be part of your almsgiving. Your local congregation is where your tithe goes. Your extra giving goes elsewhere, and I certainly encourage it, but not in place of. And but just while I'm at it, you know, don't use money as a weapon because it's a good weapon. Because it's so good. It's so, you, if you withhold money so that, you know, something doesn't happen or somebody quits or, you know, I mean, you can do it, but as I told you early on, um, the half-life of a nuclear strike is a very long time. So, um, you know, point eight, you know, when scripture talks about money and giving, look at the words they use. Eagerness, enthusiasm, excellence, beyond ability, liberally generated with love, with pride, with confidence, cheerfully. So what I'd like for you to be able to do is kind of think this through and um, remember the parable of the talents, which is also in uh, Matthew 25. We didn't read it, but it's basically Jesus gives money to folks. And, you know, the first guy, depends on which version you read, but he gives him $2 million, and the guy makes $2 million. He gives the next guy $5 million, and he makes $5 million. And then the last guy, he gave him $2 million, and he put it all in FTX. And then the Lord comes back and says... Well, at least I was staking, he says to the Lord. And the Lord says, nobody can even understand that. You shouldn't have buried it there. I might have mixed a metaphor. So, um, you know, I mean, you have these gifts. You're responsible to use them. And if you don't use them, you can expect them to be taken away. That's the end of the story. He gives them a million bucks, and the guy says, I buried it in the ground. And he says, for goodness sakes, when your T-bill's at 5%, at least you could, you know. Um... Have I got anything else? You know what? Uh, I'll give you a couple of, I'll give you three more secular things. Two I have here, and then one I don't have. But this is like, you can tell from these dates, even I was stunned by how long I've been doing this. Uh, this article from the New York Times, don't be shocked, but money isn't everything. And then on the other side, um, an article from Forbes, let the fruit run down your chin. But you know, Basically, it talks about how money is an excuse or thing. The other thing is, during the, um, a few years ago, I can't remember, it must have been during 8 9, but it might have been I'm trying to think which find. I have an article from Barron's. There was a study done on people. If you lose half your money in the stock market, you have the same mortality rate going forward as if you had a massive heart attack really interesting which tells you how people love their stuff love their money so if you lose 50 percent in the stock market people in that demographic have the same mortality going forward as if you've had a massive heart attack same saying isn't that amazing crazy stuff i gave it out the last time we had a capital campaign i could find it it's a beautiful little article and you kind of go huh for people who would deny that money matters to us 
Okay, you notice I've left you almost three and a half minutes for questions because you know I'm willing to hear anything until 10 (laughs) o'clock. Just questions about any of this? Jennings has his hat on, he's leaving already, but Maxwell, yes, you pure-hearted young man, what, what do you want to know? Sir, about the giving. Yeah. So, I said about the job, the trying to get job. Yeah. I have a question, is it better, sir, just to go online and give even my tithe and not be messing around with trying to give it to the people working on it? Yeah, it, it is easier. And it is, the reason is that um, it takes us a long time to record checks and stuff. If you can go online and do it. If you can't, it's fine. So you'll notice it's a smoother process, process, yeah. Um, Don't let us overdraw your account, so, because, you know, that would stink. There's a little slot next to the bulletins if you want to drop an envelope. We went from giving envelopes to sending envelopes once a month to sending envelopes four times a year now. It's because 80%, I think 80% of our giving is online. And... um, I know people sometimes argue about that theologically. It doesn't keep me awake at night. So you can do what you want. There's a little slot there if you want to, you know, some people are just cash money and that's completely fine. But, you know, this way falls way to the bottom of the things I worry about. Question about anything? So I'll never see you again. It's been nice knowing you for the (laughs) weeks you've been here. Uh, really, seriously, nothing else. You can't be completely convinced by this. Otherwise, I'll be checking to see that, you know, your W-2, just move that dot one space to the left. Um, if you still might want to join, there's a hard copy in front of you. That's the data we need. So there's a hard, this sheet right here. Now this will, the vicar tells me, because he's a digital native, this is going to go up online? It's going to come to you by email, and it can be filled out online, though, in the email? Yes, it's a, a fillable PDF thing. Yeah, so you get a PDF in the, you'll get it probably this week. We can do that this week, right? If you're interested. Uh, the reason we don't put it on the website is because it's the same. Our other, we have other forms on the website, but then we have people joining we've never heard of and asking for weddings that we have never met. And so fill it, even if you sent me a transfer letter, your previous congregation, so we hold all the transfer letters in a file until we decide if we like each other, right? So, I mean, you presumed you would like us, but you can see from this morning how clearly wrong you have been. And so um, a transfer letter, you know, your previous congregation may or may not have kept good data, and they may or may not have sent the data. So we may not know, you know, the names of all your kids. And here's the other thing. The vicar's been very nice. He's been very, very nice, but he has weaknesses. One of his weaknesses is he's shy, right? I mean, look at him, he's demure, he's a nice boy. So I said to the vicar, you know, among other things, so, I mean, can I reveal some of these things? I said to the vicar when he first got here, I sent you 10 emails this week, he's like, oh yeah, I don't use email. Hmm. He also likes me to text him rather than talk to him. What? Before I call, I mean. And so then, but, the, but, the, but also, um, um, I can't even remember what the heck I was going to say now, Vic. What was I going to, what was I really going to say that was wonderful about you? I can't quite remember. Anyway, forget it. Uh, you know what? Fill these things out and, um, you know, get them back to you. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I said to the vicar, take pictures of everybody here so we can put them in the computer. He said, that seems a bit invasive, which I think to myself, 
You're of a generation who thinks that social media is your front yard, not your bedroom. But you know, okay, take a selfie and send it to the vicar. Now, we're not gonna put you online, but somebody's gonna go to the hospital and say, Maureen had a big one, but she's still alive holding on, but I'll, I don't know who she is. We need your picture, because this has actually happened to me. Uh, yes, it has. I was making hospital calls and I had a collar on. I stepped out of the elevator and this very nice nurse met me right here and she said, oh, Father, we're so glad that you're here. He's dying. And I said, okay, uh, because so far everything was working. And then she took me around the corner into a room and there was a man I'd never seen before with 30 of his family gathered around him. He's gasping for his last breath and everybody only speaks Spanish. These were not my people. Now, I was very happy to have seen them, and I would have gladly helped them, but I, you know, didn't know who I was going for. And the overconfidence of the nurse put me in a sticky situation. However, in this case, the sign of the cross does do wonders, especially with very nice Spanish-speaking people who were catechized. So they just let me go on like, hey, you don't know us and we don't know you, but if the baby Jesus is here, this is probably gonna work out. Nevertheless, if you would take a selfie with your family and send it to us, we can put it only in the computer. I promise you, we won't publicize it. This is only so people who haven't been here every Saturday will know who you are. And let's face it, some of you are very handsome. So, uh, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, we need it. That's the kind of picture we need right there. Yeah, I know, right there. You can do tricks in the picture, we don't care. Send it to the vicar if you take a selfie. All right, anything else? So I don't expect any of you to come back next week, but if you do, you know, two more times, we need to talk about the Holy Supper, and then we need to talk a little bit just about life in general, and um, more questions. Let me see, there's one more here, I might as well knock this out. Oh, this was the Catholic question, I had one other. Let me just make sure that I don't ignore this. Why is there a cherub and a liar on the podium? Good, that's very, very nice. So um, you'll notice there is a winged man or an angel, there's an ox or a cow. Um, there's an eagle. What have I forgotten, Vicar? The lion, thank you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they're first mentioned, those four figures are first mentioned in Ezekiel. They're re-mentioned as being around the throne in heaven in Revelation. And the church from forever has identified them with the uh, four Gospels. And so from the place where the Gospels are read, it marks this as being God's word and not somebody else's word. So um, it's just another way of saying, uh, God's about to speak to you, pay attention. It's a long tradition, and if you pay attention, you'll see it in churches from time to time. How often does the cross get hit on the ceiling wall when walking out of the church? I didn't look at these. Vicar, what would you say? How many times a year does... It hasn't happened at all this year. So the vicar is a fabulous vicar. A pay, a, occasionally Jesus does get gorked right between the eyes. It's embarrassing for all of us, but he's very forgiving. Nevertheless, we try not to take advantage of his grace, right? So... I know, it's hard. Thank God he loves us, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Jennings.
It can be heavy. You're as a man who's carried it, it is, it can be heavy, right? So, anything else? All right, we'll see what happens. I love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you soon. Thank you. Try to hang in for two more weeks if you can, then we'll be all done.